This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Welcome to the show, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and we've got a live episode here recorded last Sunday at the Arena Theatre Wolverhampton which was organised by the very lovely Paul Savage, so many thanks to him. After a half hour extended set which absolutely killed, we got stuck into the following conversation with a real master craftsman of comedy, as you'll hear in some really, really specific detail coming up. Can't wait for this. It is of course, Gary Delaney. A bar goes into a man, not a joke, just a tragic industrial accident. Uh, I recently found out I'm gay, so that'll teach me to read the comments on YouTube. <laughs> Remember one time at school, the teacher asked me to spell Schadenfreude and I couldn't, but he's dead now and I'm not, so I win. <laughs> A slightly formal handshake there. I just feel compelled to do it. Have a seat and grab one of them. Thanks, man. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Gary, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I should just say, for the benefit of people listening at home, that uh, Gary's just done a 30-minute extended set for us with a a mixture of... uh, That's not counting the encores. Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) And he's done that uh, with a mixture of uh, new stuff and, in his own words, solid gold classics. Uh, (laughs) In my defence, I did regret those words as soon as they were out of my mouth. But yes, so... Uh, and, uh, and also just for the... Uh, the I should be looking at you and talking to him, shouldn't I? Yeah, so thank that, you. Yeah, that's, that's perfect, yeah. That's and also, dismissive. <laughs> also for the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, good. Also for the benefit of the listener... <laughs> um, for the benefit of the listener, uh, the, uh, the teeming audience here at the Arena Theatre Wolverhampton is uh, well over 3,000. And, uh, that's right, that's, and I am officially an arena comic now, yeah, by true, the way, yeah. so uh, <laughs> well done me. And, and it should be said that half of the audience, I think roughly half of the audience here, are stand-up comedians, comedians themselves. So... Let's just talk about how weird that was to do. How was that experience? You were saying in the in the green room just now that you were getting inverse reactions. It was to- the opposite of a normal gig in that um, <laughs> you get the exact. Yeah, there we know. Oh, heckling. you're chopsy now. <laughs> because normally, um, you, you, you know, I started off writing a lot of stuff that was. Um, quite sort of uh, la-di-da or things that were a bit clever and things that I thought was were funny. Um, and then I had to moderate it a lot because I didn't, re- for years, I didn't have any substantial work or money. And I didn't realise that when club promoters says, oh, I like your stuff, it's clever, that that wasn't a good thing. Yeah, OK. <laughs> right? <laughs> Genuinely, what they meant by that was, oh, I think your stuff's clever, brackets, and that's why I'm not booking you for my club. Yeah. And that's why you don't have any money. Right, and, and okay. um, so fuck that. So now... <laughs> so no, I, I learned to sort of uh, to, to mix it up a bit with some stuff that's not... I mean, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Hacky is a harsh word, isn't it, to sure. describe your own things with, but I learned to mix it up so it's not all just stuff that's quite esoteric to have, have a balance of okay. things. But normally you get the balances. You do the... Um, you've got some stuff that's quite harsh or rude or, or simple or silly or whatever, and then you, 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 you pepper it with things that are more 
or more, more subtle or mm -hmm. require a bit more thought and they get less and then you do a cock joke or something um, and that will get a lot more and here it, it, it is the reverse it is the, it was the it was the clever jokes that get uh, get more sure. and, and as soon as you do like a, a cock joke people roll their eyes and you think <laughs> yeah. and I, I didn't even do any like ginger jokes or scouse jokes or anything like that because sure. I'd have just been too embarrassed in this company you're, you're and I don't have any of that hacky stuff I've got loads, got loads. <laughs> loads. it's interesting to hear you say that because you're someone I think of as having an enormous uh, variety of types of jokes you're not you've got lots of puns and wordplay but you're not confined to puns and wordplay there's loads I'm pretty of much confined to it <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> let's, uh, let's but you have you have a lot of different subjects and it's interesting to hear that you might have started out from a point of view of doing that esoteric things probably one of the ComComPod drinking game things will be every time that Stuart mentions he used to be really inspired by Simon Munnery drink oh, but I did I'm a massive hero, fan of legend. Munnery yeah, yeah. and I the thing that I the, the the way in which I always describe it is that I thought I'd end up writing stuff like his because he was my idol when yeah, I was yeah. a newer comic. Uh, so yeah. I, I started trying to write weird esoteric stuff. And you found was, you were shit at it. And I found I was shit yeah, at yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's, that's the story though, isn't it? You start off and you want to be like your heroes and you think, but you start off under the naive belief that you get to choose your style of comedy and of course you don't choose your style of comedy your style of comedy chooses you it's a misnomer when people say you need to think about your persona and all this I think that's all bollocks all this stuff about persona and timing and all this sort of shit just people are trying to describe something that's quite complicated and mysterious but all that really matters is you pick what works and, and what works will find you I didn't set out to be a one-liner comic but I was shit at everything else Okay. Okay. That basically, and that was that. That decision was made. I loved, um, huge fan of Munnery, um, and a huge, huge. I was a huge fan of of um, of, of Harry Hill and and um, sort of, you know and I don't know Stuart Lee and who were the other you know, bonkers guys in the nineties. Sure. Just lo loads of those guys, and I wanted to be like that, and I wanted to be wacky and whatnot. Turns out I'm not. That doesn't work for me. Okay. So but it's interesting that. that when you say it turns out, that is as the result of decisions you've made. When when promoter said to you, "I like your stuff. It's." clever, you, as a younger comic, thought to yourself, oh, when you worked out what you've just said, when mm. you've gone, oh, that means they're not going to book me and I need the money, you made those decisions, didn't you, to go, okay, then I'll write more cock jokes or I'll write fewer yeah, esoteric yeah. ones. And in 2005, I just decided that I'd got... Um uh, that just to try and write some dark... Well, I'd already written dark and things, but I just never did them. And I, okay. I just decided to sort of loosen up a little bit and do some different things. And, and, and the deadpan thing wasn't really working for me anymore. And so okay. I just made lots of, lots of changes because so I, I got as far as I could get, really. Well, let's just track back a little bit then. So you yeah, started yeah. off deadpan doing those one-liners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I imagine sort of like someone doing like silly Tim Viney jokes but pretending they're Stephen Wright <laughs> <laughs> and was that the thinking behind it that was I'm going to do Tim Viney it's, it's, quite, it's quite a good uh, good reconciliation I mean you, you really wear your influences on your, on your sleeve when you start don't you mm -hmm. and then for the next 15 or so years <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So yeah. Um, so no, I, I was very deadpan, and that works really well for short spots in the middle. And then um, what would happen was I, I got, you know, I'd, I'd go somewhere and I'd do a really good ten or fifteen in the middle, and then I got booked for, you know, opening twenties and stuff. And in particular, the first big club I broke and got into was Jonglers because mm -hmm. I got very lucky. I did an open spot there when it was someone's leaving do at Jonglers Battersea, so that all the bookers were there. I happened to have a great gig that night. The wind blew my way, so I got into Jonglers long before anywhere out, you know, any, any other clubs I was in, and I wasn't really ready, ready for it. And I went from trying to do these kind of quite la-di-da middle spots to mm. trying to open for a, a weekend in Portsmouth and Southampton and getting my ass royally kicked about the place and sure. dying on my hole and thinking, fuck, I need to rework this. Okay. So I made, I made lots of changes. That's interesting to hear that that's, that makes a lot of sense to me now in the context of you saying, drink, in the, it, yeah, I know, I, know, I know you spotted that as well. Context is another one. I will mention them this one interview and I'll try not to mention them again on future episodes. Um, but uh, 
particularly with reference to you doing the dark stuff and you like the dark stuff and you like the, you know, you do have, like you said, you've got material about scousers and gingers and stuff like that. Jonglers tends to reward those kind of jokes, don't it, they? It certainly does, yes. And the industry does generally, in all honesty. And, and even then, you can still use that stuff to get over um, you know, your other bits as well. You sneak in your bits under the radar. like So I don't like to think that people talk about having a jongler's set, and you can do that. I think that's the best idea, to have mm. a set that's entirely sort of dick jokes and stuff. But um, you do tack to the wind and you know mm -hmm. but I'd always make a point of still at least like still at least doing like the Israeli joke in jonglers I never changed my set that much for jonglers sure but that's probably because I guess probably more because playing those clubs changed me rather mm. than you know than anything else you know mm. did you feel I think there must be some comedians I mean I interviewed Tony Law recently and he was talking about how he found it murder to play those kind of commercial Friday and Saturday night clubs not not exclusively jonglers but he found it really difficult you know that people I think some people approach that environment go what I do here doesn't work and is it a thing do you think where you kind of either bend or break you either you either accept that you have to tailor your material or you forge on ahead unhappily or you don't play them and you don't make the money if you've got other things going on you can make the decision not to play them and I don't specifically mean jungles I mean all sort of big weekend sure. clubs they're all of a similar type but to different degrees but I, I know I think I mean you know somehow or other you've got to make a living and you, you, if you want to remain as esoteric as you like that, that's fine but you're really restricting yourself on there. I think there's a big value in, as a comic, to um, having as much versatility as you can to be able to play any room. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's, if you can do a jonglers but still do an arts centre, I think that that's because there's good things. And, and, and people who sit in one group and just slag off the other group, I think are being a, a, a bit lazy, mm -hmm. quite it's, frankly. With, with specifically about jugglers, I remember a conversation we had years ago when I first started playing jugglers. And I think you, I don't know if we had a, we were driving somewhere, I was driving you to a gig and uh, you said, oh, right, you've just got in with jugglers. Here's all the things that they want that they don't, that they won't ever tell you that's that they right, want. Yeah. Do you remember I, that? I relate to you what was told to me. So it would have been things like... Um, um, you don't have to dress smart, but it helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, um, they'll never tell you to wear a suit, but they want you to. Never cunt off the audience. I don't um, remember that exact phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> Just if it's not, if, well, let me let me rephrase that for the tape. Um, if it's not going your way, yeah, uh, you know, put up a good fight with a smile. Yeah, don't. don't um, Oh, I can't say that either. Uh, <laughs> don't flip the gig off and yeah, just start sure. talking about what you know what assholes they are, and yes, just, you, know, okay. you, you have to give it your best shot. And that's from what I gather is um, you know that thing of you see a comic die on their hole and then get to the end and say you've been a lovely crowd, thanks and good night, and you go, well they haven't been a lovely crowd, they've hated you. What's that about? And what I gather was that started with clubs that would um, have would tape the comics and they never bothered watching the tapes properly. I don't mean John, I mean lots of clubs, you know, mm -hmm. probably yeah, from America. Sure. They just watch like the, the beginning and the end. And if you started off and if they watched that and your first joke got a laugh and at the end you were smiling and said, hey, thanks, great crowd. They go, oh, he must have done well then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from what I gather, that's where that yeah, started. Yeah, I think at the time, I think what I remember you saying in the, in, when the last time we had that conversation uh, was that they listen to the, or that the mics aren't pointed at the audience. So they're only the recording oh, for that's the video. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, what yeah. it looks like. Right, they yeah. see you kind of looking like you have a good time. Uh, and they hear you, only you, down the mic saying, you've been great. Yeah. And that was, the, that was like the angle of, that's how to try and get booked by no, a commercial club. Absolutely, because people will say, oh, you, you know, if, well, if not, they will watch the tape but we all know as a comic that the way to get in somewhere is for them to be there and see you in the room have a good one yeah a good one just doesn't come through on tape you know that's the same way the stand-up on telly isn't the same as, as stand-up live and 
you know, if somebody say, if you go to do an open spot for somebody, they say, oh, I'm not going to be there, but I'll get a report or mm. I'll, I'll watch a video of it. You basically know that no matter how well you do, you're not going to get sure, in. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the sound of hearts breaking. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not just in the room, but so, in the listenership. You know, yeah, any time that you hear something crushingly true, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, no, ab absolutely is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal out there. And I dread to think how hard it is now because I know how hard it was you know, for us to get through sure. and how broke I was for years and whatnot. And that, you know, I'd, I'd hate to be starting now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> I, I know. I Sorry. Um, <laughs> what I mean is, hey, you go, guys. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I've had this you're conversation. You're fine, actually, because if, you, if you're young enough to stick it out, because there's a shakeout at the minute. And what will happen with that is a lot of, a lot of guys, especially older guys, will be pushed out and, and retired, have to go and get other jobs. And, it, and it, we will clear out a lot of space. And if you're, if you're young enough to benefit from that on the other side, you, you'll, you'll ride the up wave. But um, in terms of the, you know, the, the pain that's being inflicted at the moment, I know it's not nice if you're trying to get in. But if, if you're someone who's 45 and been out of a real job for 50 years, 15 years and suddenly find that your income is disappearing, that's a lot scarier. So yeah. I'd rather ride it your way than be at the other end of it, quite frankly. Yeah. I, that's certainly... I, that's not autobiographical. I'm doing all right. I don't mean yeah. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, I'm only 40. <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly found with other people who started around the same time as me that we feel like uh, we've... I've, I certainly feel like as everything started to, started to go wrong or people are kind of going, all oh, the industry's in crisis, I feel like I've Indiana Jones-style just got under the door in time, grabbed the hat and gone, thank God, I'm, you know, You've got I'm to have, up and yeah, running. Absolutely. You know? you, you, it's, it's, I'm, I'm you know, glad that I started getting a bit of telly. I feel a lot safer mm. now. Um, but I think it's 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 very what it's always been wise, but it's even wiser now. To, if you do if you do in comedy, you're trying to make a living just on clubs to have another thing going on. Yeah. Um, whether it is, it doesn't matter. What God, else it's like it we're is talking to do. actors. Whether it's um, <laughs> have but a it skill, it can still be a related yeah. thing though. But it's not. I don't mean like you know working as a carpenter or something. I mean you know whether it's uh, I don't know uh, TV writing or mm. acting or whether you do another circuit, whether you do corporates or gay gigs or black gigs or whatever it is, another thing. Mm. You know, run a comedy pub quiz, whatever it is, mm. you know, a book your own night, it's handy to have, you know, something else, you're not, you're not entirely at people's mercy. Mm. Well, I don't want to, I've listened to a couple of other uh, interviews that I've had with you, and I feel like I know a bit about how you started, so okay. we don't need to spend too much time on that. I believe you yeah. were, a, you were an ENTS officer? Yeah, I did that, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, and all sorts of boring things I've written on before. Yeah, I did that, and I used to write, um, you know, money-saving Martin Lewis, that guy on telly, he was an old college friend of mine, and okay. I used to, he, he dabbled in stand-up, and I wrote him some jokes, and I wrote him his killer joke about nurses. I was like, do that, that'll knock them dead. What was, your, what was the nurses joke? Well, in retrospect, it wasn't as good as I thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the joke was... Um, uh, what was it? The joke was... Um, apparently, um, when a man dies, the, all the sphincters of the man's body relax, so the body's prone to leak fluid from the, you know, the penis and the anus, and so... Well, apparently when a man dies in hospital, it's part of the nurse's job to tie a knot in the end of his penis and put a cork up his anus. And um, where I think of it, there's two very clear lessons that you can draw from that. One, never go out with a nurse. <laughs> or two, go out with a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the joke. I don't okay. think... I mean, the other... Actually, I did that joke for a bit myself, but the... I had the hesitation as to whether that was true. I suspect it was just something I heard down the pub and mm -hmm. probably isn't true. But so no, I, I, I gave that joke to Martin. I said, that'll slay, mate. And he did it a couple of times today. It doesn't work, that joke. Um, and I said, well, you're not doing it right then. And he was kind of trying to goad me into it. Anyway, I'd been on the fringes of, of comedy for ages, but never had the bottle 
to, to get up there and do it. So he, he bet me. We, we stayed back for a one night. Uh, we had a few drinks at the, the Buccaneer Club that Andy Lord used to run in the 90s. At, you know, it's in London. It's long, long gone. And we stayed there for a drink after one show, after the show one night. And he sort of bet me 20 quid that I wouldn't have the nerve to go and do a gig within six weeks. OK. So I think that was the limit or something like that. Um, so I, I, I took the bet because I was drunk. Uh, and, and kind of to sort of spur me into doing it. So I wrote a set largely around that joke. Yeah. And that set still features that pornography degrading slags joke was in that very first set. Yes. Um, and, I, and I did a gig um, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed it and I carried on. But uh, So that was part that, of a set that you won to, to win a bet. You wrote a set that included that perfect one-liner in the form it, that it, it is it, now? It, no, it was more flannelly. I we should probably, just for the sake of the listener, if we don't oh, include yes. that okay, initially... OK, let, let's back ref a little bit. Yeah, um, because otherwise, without the right context, that, that joke could be... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The joke is, um, if a man uses too much pornography, eventually it starts to affect his whole attitude towards slags. Yeah. Right, which is a lovely little gag. But no, I, I originally had a whole... Um, I, had a, I had links in for a lot of my material. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, really, you, were, you were linking between one-liners? Well, a little bit. I mean, I was using that cop-out device of using a family linking device. My dad sure. and my brother are, you know, it's not, it's just a equivalent of my mother-in-law or whatever, but it's, mm -hmm. just, it's just a way in. So I think I, and I think I, because I came off the back of something about my dad, it was the original version was, uh, grand, you know, dad taught me a lot of things. He taught me that if a man uses too much pornography. So that, that was the original Yes, I see, OK. Joke, just okay. With, with, that, with that sort of lead in. Because no, I, try, I tried to link things together. And I, I mean, when I started off, um, my, my first gig, we, you know, I really enjoyed it, um, and then um, um, and I sort of lay awake. I mean, I hadn't slept for two nights before because I was too nervous, and that night I, was just, I just lay awake going, oh, my God, this isn't what I want to do. And then um, by about ten gigs in, I'd lost my bottle and given up and stopped for three years. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, um, when, um, and that gave me the distance to go back and go, it was only the one-liners that were good, ditch everything else and don't try and link it. Because you know, you, it gave me that, it's like the same as putting a script in a drawer and coming back to it later yes, and you put okay. a more critical eye. When you, know, when you write new things, you don't know what's good and what isn't. And it gave me that little bit of distance because I, I, I stopped and I didn't intend to go back. What I, were you I doing really in those three it. years? Were you still watching lots of comedy? I was for a bit and then I had to stop because I couldn't bear to watch it. Um, and then, you couldn't bear to watch it knowing that you wanted to do it yeah, but you yeah, couldn't yeah, bring, yeah. bring yourself And then um, I decided I wanted to do it again and I was watching... Uh, a band called Porcupine Tree because I like prog rock shit nice. and uh, um, and, I, and I was thinking I was just watching them on the mic going oh fuck even this I'm just stood there watching it going I want to give that another go and then um, and I decided I hadn't really given it I didn't realise when I started that you needed to work really hard mm -hmm. um no, I th well, a lot of people that... St I mean, it's, it's obvious now, I think, to anyone starting comedy, it's a career path, it's a thing you have to work well, hard I, at. I, a lot of people started 10, 15, 20 years ago I, I, because it was the opposite of a job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't understand. I was, I was 24 when I did my first gig. Um, and, I, you know, I, and, it, and it went well. And my third gig, after my third gig... Um, which was also back at the Buccaneer Club. Kate Copstick was in the audience. Mm. I didn't know who she was at that time. And she came up to me and said, I'm booking a, a programme on ITV called The Warehouse, which, was, okay. which used to be on in the 90s. On, like, it was like a post-pub telly on ITV. And it was all for, it was probably only in London. No, they had, no, I think it was national. Anyway, either way. It was all comics and bands and stuff who hadn't been on telly. So I, I was asked to be on that. So my seventh ever gig was on ITV. Um, LAUGHTER and by that point, I was losing my nerve. And, I mean, that gig went well soon. I'm sure there's an embarrassing tape of it somewhere. But, um, Please email that in if anyone's got <laughs> that. <laughs> but, yeah, and then I just... Um, 
I didn't understand that you had to work really hard. So when I had a couple of bad gigs, my fourth gig, I died on my fucking hole. Uh, um, this uh, quite, inf- you're, you know, you're, you're around long enough to remember the legends of the Purple Turtle. Yes. In, yeah. Yes. There, and, I, you know, and I just died so badly, and I got. I, st- I thought I started off thinking I was, oh, I'm really great at this, and I was, I was a bit cocky and I was, you know, naive. And then I got that absolute arrogance kicked out of me quite royally. And rather mm. than reacting to that by going, um, I need to go back and, and work harder and write more. I reacted by doing less and getting scared of it and doing less gigs and leaving longer and longer gaps between gigs. And then six months later, I'd stopped. Okay. And that, and that so that. and so emotionally, during that three-year period, you were frustrated. You were angry that you couldn't do it. That's an exaggeration, but it, was, it became. More Did you cry? More, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the tears. <laughs> <laughs> I cried and wanked at the same time. That's, that's oh, this is so hack. <laughs> I cried hacky, spunky tears. <laughs> <laughs> so You couldn't tell which source of salt was which. <laughs> um, no, so I, I just did miss it. And I, and I realised that when I came back to it, I was a little bit mature and I realised that I hadn't given it a proper go. Mm. Um, I hadn't worked hard and I, I you know, and I'd never, I didn't really, I, I, if I didn't go back, I'd die not knowing whether I was any good or not. And I decided on the first, to finally give it another go, on the 1st of January 2000, hung over as fuck on, uh, on uh, New Year's Day, you know, New Millennium Day, whatever it was, mm. having had lots of absinthe the night before and been really sick, um, I decided to give it another go, and I did. You must be some, one of the very few people that has stuck to a resolution they made on January the 1st, uh, yeah, 2000. Yeah, well, it still took me 11 months from then to get back to it, but then okay. I did, and then, and then I said, right, I'll give myself, um, I said, right, I'll work harder, I'll try and write, all the time, or as much, as much as is practically possible. Mm. In theory, you write every day. That's the sort of golden rule, is it? But I wasn't. I was writing a lot, um, and I thought I'd gig, gig at least three times a week. I think that's sort of what you have to do to sort of maintain yourself. More than three, and you'll get better. Three, and you'll keep ticking over. Less than three, and you'll probably get slightly worse. So I thought, right, I'll gig at least three times a week, um, and if if I don't get paid any money within twelve months, then this isn't for me, and I should stop. Mm-hmm. And after eleven months, I got my first paid gig off. I think it was Dan Evans who booked it. It was okay. in Cambridge, I think it was called The Boat Race or something like that. And I was on a very specific time of 14 minutes in the middle. Okay. Um, and that was for like about 70 pounds or something like that. And so I decided to carry on. Now the 14 figure I thought was just Dan being quirky and I've never asked him. Every time I see him, I mean to ask him and I always forget. <laughs> but I, then I did hear somewhere else that 14 minutes is the point, the scientific point at which one-liners start getting tedious. Ah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I don't know if that is any true. That may well have just been somebody trying to wind me up after sure. I'd desperately done 20 minutes somewhere. I don't know. So this is Gary. And there's a moment in this interview where he explains the weaving together of two narratives that take place in a successful one-liner that is absolutely catnip to comedians and comedy fans alike. It's geeknip. And there was uh, there was a real moment in the room, as, as you'll have heard, the audience was about half comics, half civilians, when he just casually throws out this perspective, this kind of um, uh, sort of overseeing, this oversight on, on, uh, on how puns work, how one-liners work. Uh, it's almost a roadmap to joke writing. Everyone just caught their breath. Absolutely brilliant. We're going to go into a lot of other related stuff, including a couple of runs at a gender-related issue that I hope you'll find interesting. It's an unusual take on the subject of gender in comedy, specifically relating, though, to audiences. Uh, You may agree with Gary, you may not, but it's certainly worth talking about, I think. 
Uh, the next live Comedians Comedian will be on the 3rd of May with the amazing Carrie Marks. But if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, I'm afraid you're going to have to be prepared to travel. That is taking place at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival in Auckland, uh, where I'll also be doing my new hour show. So come along and see that. Brilliant lineup in the big show that uh, Kiwi promoter Scott Blanks runs. Loads of great, great shows. Great uh, local and international comics doing hour long solo shows, including I know myself and James Acaster from the UK are also going to be over there. Uh, if you're anywhere in New Zealand, you must try and come along to some of that it's just my favourite place to be that's the 3rd of May with the awesome Kerry Marks I imagine that will be happening at the Classic in New Zealand but uh, watch this space Sorry, I've been very lax getting back to your emails this week. I normally try and keep up. On the plus side, though, I've been spending the time writing actual jokes. So your loss is my eventual Edinburgh audience's gain. Um, I'll get back to everyone in due course, uh, including uh, some... I've had some very kind feedback, very lovely emails from Chris Kaufman, uh, Gary Spears, Katie Higgins, Mark Wharton, all you guys and more. I will get back to you soon, I promise. Uh, the show has been nominated for a Chortle Award again, yes, uh, only this time, as well as being up against uh, Richard Herring and his mailing list of doom, uh, we're up against Netflix. Uh, so thanks to everyone that voted, you can still vote, and we need your votes, because Netflix has 1.5 million subscribers. So uh, vote for ComComPod in the uh, the Chortle Internet Award category. You can find it on the website chortle.co.uk you might need to google chortle awards 2014 to find the exact link i, I couldn't find it straight from the the homepage. maybe i'm an idiot thank you all for your very kind donations and the the often very even kinder attached messages as always if you think this show is making a difference to your work or to your life in general or you'd like to support it in any way you can do that with a donation of any size at comedianscomedian.com and click on the paypal button you can decide how much you pay of course you don't have to donate uh, but if you can afford to then we like to think you can pay for the people who can't it's up to you that's all the blurb for now Let's get stuck back into the absolutely marvellous comedy mind of Mr. Gary Delaney. We'll talk in a moment about the structure and the rhythm of doing one-liners because yeah, it's yeah. such a specific, such an unusual um, way of, uh, of doing comedy. Certainly unusual to me. But I wanted to, to sort of kick off with... I wanted to talk about um, something that Stephen Grant said on this show. I don't know if you listened to Stephen's one, but he Stevens. opened by saying that he didn't consider himself a natural comedian. He was someone that he felt he had to work for and write every joke, every laugh he yeah. got had hours and hours of work behind it, whereas there are some people, kind of more funny bones people. Yes. And, this, you know, this is, I'm not describing him like this. I think he's very funny, but... But he has that sense, and I want to just... No, that's true. There's two types of comics. There's naturally funny people, and there's really good comics. (laughs) 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 Yeah, okay, so there are naturally funny people, and there are people that work. Now, you're a a writer, first and foremost. You got into performing. It sounds like you got into performing to prove the point that the joke worked, rather than to prove the point that you were funny. Performing is a means of getting your jokes to people, because you can't just hand around notes... Okay. Uh, you know, basically. Um, well, you so, yeah. can now. Twitter, well, you can. Yes, you can, you can. But um, no, it's... Had it's... Twitter existed back then, do you think you would have... Would you have been like a Twitter king of I the one-liners been... without actually any performance? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. It may, it may have been enough of a distraction that I never got okay. anywhere. Yeah, it's possible. Okay. Um, or, you know, not. I don't know. Twitter served me very well in its modern incantation, but that was at a different stage in my career. So, who knows? Sure. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, everyone is either a writer bluffing at performing or a performer bluffing at writing. Um, there's, I don't think anybody is, is, is both, basically. Okay. So, so um, let's talk then about the, about the actual process of writing the jokes. And I know you've, you've talked about this before, but let's talk about the mechanics of how many days you write, how many hours in the day, where you write, when you write. Yeah. 
and and how you how that differs from how you started off. So when you let's, so at the beginning, you were trying to write every day. Yeah, so yeah, or write before work, or you know something like that, or just write in the bath and make notes. And um, so yeah, um, now, and I often would just write in panic because that first set is. Um, nearly the only time you ever do a set of 100% new material. The only yes. other time you ever do that in your career is as a, a new material night. So yeah. and that's why new material nights are so e exciting and, you know, and, and thrilling and scary. And why usually, for a lot of comics, it's the only the experience comics, it's the only time they ever get really nervous again. Is you go, you're looking at this going, this could all be shit. Yeah. You know, literally, there could be no saving grace in any of this, and I might die a proper death. And if you, you know, and, and it's and that's that's great. You know, it's mm. exhilarating to to get that and do. That. I say that as it doesn't mean I don't get nervous. And I still get incredibly nervous on gigs, but but at least I know that I have stuff that is funny. It may not mm. work for a given crowd, depending on dynamics and things. But um, it, it you know it it, it is funny. Or to, to go out potentially what could be completely unarmed. You know, or with blank guns, is 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 quite exhilarating. So, but now my process is this: um, I, firstly, I don't spend anywhere near as much time writing for myself as I should, and I always regret that. And I'm trying to remedy it. Uh, I, I put in quite a few new material nights, but my useful output from a new material night, if I write, um, and you do, I do usually do new material nights in round numbers, so I go and do twenty, thirty jokes there. I might get one or two that hit the set and stay there for a long time. So I might come away with 10 seconds worth of material and that's not very long it takes a long time sure to, to, to build a show um and that's of the the 20 or 30 that you that's not the whole 20 or 30 that you wrote or do you try every single thing that I you try wrote? it I, no I, I about half to two-thirds is too embarrassing to ever say out loud okay and, and and then some of that editing is only when you get to like the last stage like when i did some stuff here in the gig before and and some of, the, some of them were bits i hadn't said out loud before and some of them i looked at and Yes, I saw you look at it and go, oh, I'm not saying that. Some of them I was embarrassed by, and sometimes that makes you improvise a better wording to save your embarrassment, mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's taped. Sometimes it's also taped because you, you don't speak how you write, and it's better to write how you speak. So if, if you look at what's on the page and you say it differently, you're better to go back, play the tape, and go, oh, I should write it like that. You know what yes, I mean? Yes. You, go, you work backwards from the said version you, um, and also because some of them you just look at and you go I cannot bear myself bring myself to say that out loud I'm too embarrassed at how shit that was I, but that's often but it's it's hard you, you should I think you kind of should try everything out because I, I am a terrible gauge of what is funny um, I, mm. and I, I don't know I can't speak for others but I, I am no better than random at picking out what of my jokes are going to work okay genuinely and if I and whenever I have I mentioned one particular joke that I thought was my favourite out of that batch of jokes that I wrote, and was the runner. I thought it was the best one. I thought it's an absolute classic. It's going to be a clean banker. It's going to be a wow. I talked about a joke. Yeah, to open sure. shows with it. And, um, <laughs> it's going it to be obviously, obviously died on its hole. That shows my yeah. arrogance. Yeah, no, no, no. I know exactly what you mean. That was an embarrassing slip. No, no, no. Um, it's the, it's the. Th I know exactly the same thing. You sometimes you go, oh, that's going to be the bit that makes. Yeah, me. yeah. And yeah. it died. And I tried it here. I think it's discerning crowd. We'll see if it works and didn't. And the joke for, for those on the tape was, um, um, if all. Um, if all copies of the Quran were, were, had the American flag printed on and all American flags had the Quran printed on, then a lot less shit would get burnt, right? Yeah. And trouble with that is, it's not very funny. And <laughs> I, I, I think it is. I think it's really funny. I think it's a great yeah. idea, but it doesn't work. Nobody else finds it funny. Um, you make a living in comedy in the intersection between two sets of Venn diagrams. Set A is things that you find funny. Set B is things the rest of the world find funny. And the overlap between sets B and set C Yes, it's between A and B, i.e., you know, subset C, is whether you have a living or not. Yes, basically. 
Okay. And that, it wasn't in subset C. I remember seeing Milton Jones at Old Rope, which is a brilliant uh, new material gig on a Monday night in London at the, the, the Cavendish, or the Phoenix in Cavendish yes. Road uh, Square. And um, I saw Milton doing some jokes off a clipboard and some of them weren't very funny. And I have to admit, part of me went, yes! Yeah. So, you know, if, if someone like Milton Jones can write something that he thinks is funny in his head and then he says it and it dies and he goes, oh, I'm never going to say that again then great, that gives us yeah. hope for all of us. Absolutely. With- it's the same as watching watching a really, really good comic die on their hole is brilliant as well. Yes. For that same yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as well as the vicarious pleasure. Yeah, yeah, also, because it yeah. just makes you go, oh, God. Um, it's important to know that everyone else is, is, is as mortal as you and, and has failed mm. and has wrong and misjudges it. And, mm. um, because, you know, it, we're, we're all scrabbling around and just... it's you, you shouldn't look at people and go, oh, they're doing something that I can't do. There's no... Um, Secret key of genius. The actual rare, the, the you know, the base element of comedy of having a sense of humour is not rare. It's not mm. possessed by everybody. Many people, probably the majority of people, don't have a sense of humour, but a hell of a lot of people do. Mm. But having that that base element is is necessary, but not sufficient to become a, a very good comic. The most important bit is is um, is hard work. I mean, you know, talent is piss. Talent is abundant. Talent is everywhere. I started with so many people more talented than me, and they're all gone. Um, you know, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's the application of hard work to that talent that makes it something is, good. Do you think? Do you think that's true? I started with people more talented than me, and they're all gone. Yeah. Is that actually? Yes, that's true. Do you think so? Yeah, absolutely. And why are they gone? They didn't work as hard. Okay. And so you you kind of say that proudly because you put the hours in. Yeah. So it has to be the absolute main focus of your life for many years, to the exclusion of all else. And if you have to, if you obsess about it and you work on it, and it's the, the primary thing in your thoughts for years and years then you, you, you then providing you have a base element of funniness you, you, will, you will turn that into something good so you think that anyone with a base element of funniness if they work hard can achieve what sort of level of success do you think that anyone if could do you think that the amount you work hard can lead you to an arena no um, only certain types of you have to have um, it, only performers can fill arenas I've never known a writer fill an arena Okay. Um, so, um, but I and that and that's that's a different thing that I'm not sort of qualified to speak on. But the anybody who has a modicum of a sense of humour, if they put enough work on it, can make a living as a club comic. Mm-hmm. Or if they could, before things started to collapse around their fucking ears. <laughs> okay. Um, with that in mind, would you mind telling us one of the things you were too embarrassed to say in the gig? Oh, hadn't anticipated. Um... <laughs> okay, let's have a look. What didn't I say? Because um, this is something that you wrote, but I'd like to hear something that you wrote before and you thought that, that could work, and then you looked at it and you went, no, I'm not going to say that, it'll never work. Just while we're looking at it under sort of lab conditions at the moment. My girlfriend sent me a text at 11am saying, I'm still in bed. I said, I know, I have sex with you. S- still is the key word in that part. Still in bed, still. there we go, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thanks for that very generous laughter. <laughs> so that, that I edited okay. out. I was too embarrassed to say that out loud. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and anything else on here? Everything else on here was either yeah, tweaked or done. So I think, yeah. I think that okay. But that one, I just looked at it and I thought, oh, what was I thinking? Other, yeah. ones I, other ones I, you know, edited on the fly a little bit. But I think that... Um, yeah, that editing on the fly thing is very interesting. Marcus Brigstock talks about uh, he talks about what he calls comic super brain, which is under the the pressure of performance yeah. is the moment where you overreach yourself and yeah. you know edit things like that. Do you ever 
improvise on stage? And do you ever come up with a fully improvised. formed joke? <laughs> yeah, um, just improvise the same every night. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes I improvise on stage, and I try to take my gigs. So if you improvise, it's either a tweak or mm. a topper. Okay. And sometimes I will improvise a really good topper and then drive home and realise I haven't taped it and I can't remember it and I'm, I get really annoyed at myself when I've done mm. that. Uh, but I don't improvise that much unless it's in reaction to something in the room. Um, sometimes I do, but I, I can only improvise when I forget that it's a skill I don't have. Okay. Right? Because I, I... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I don't believe that I can improvise, right? Yeah. But sometimes when I, when I forget that, because I'm distracted, I find myself doing it and it goes quite well. Mm. And then I suddenly remember I can't do it and then I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same with... Well, I was thinking recently, I went skiing the other week. I did the Alps gigs and I was skiing out there and it's only the second time or third time I've been skiing and I'm OK. And then if it's like the Douglas Adams flying thing. If you suddenly remember this is impossible, it's immediately impossible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to talk a little bit, just probe a little bit further about that idea of belief because that, that isn't something that I knew beforehand that you thought that you... Uh, what I'm getting at is your belief in yourself. When you said before, loads of people are more talented me and, yeah. than me and they finished, do you only believe in yourself as a worker? Do you believe that you have talent? I believe I have a, 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 a necessary amount of talent. I don't believe I have a particularly remarkable amount of talent. Because um, I, I think a lot of people would disagree with that. And Do you think that that's... I mean, is it just that you're sort of superhumanly modest or is that actually... No, I mean... Like I, I, you, yeah. You've written some genuinely brilliant jokes that are certainly... Certainly they're good enough for people to steal and do to each other in the pub. But, but um, yeah, I, that, I, that's I mean, not I, just as a result of hard work and a bit of a base level. My jokes will outlive me. I'm quite pleased with that as my yeah. little bit of immortality in the world. Sure. You know? um, but, um, Uncredited forever. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine. You know? but, um, but no, I, I don't think that's particularly special. I mean, you have to be good at it. I'm good at it. Lots of people are good at it. I don't think that's... But not many people have put in as, as many hours. Okay. I don't, I don't think... I mean, you know... Uh, write, the ability to write jokes is a rarer skill than the ability to perform comedy, mm -hmm. um, but it's not massively rare. Okay. Every time I go in a writer's room, it's full with people who can write. Sure. You know, there's lots of... Yeah, so... Uh, okay. But no, I mean, I think... Um, most people who say they want to be comics don't really want to be comics. Um, sometimes I've helped somebody with some advice or gigs or whatever... And then you look at their behaviour and you go, no, you don't want to be a comic. You're just pissing about at this. Um, okay. um, I remember once getting a gig for somebody and I rang him up on the day and he said, oh, no, I can't do it. I've got a cold and, you know, and the bathroom is flooded. And it's like, oh, well, you don't want to be a comic then. All oh, right, I'm sorry, I didn't realise. Well, you know, I didn't say that to him. I just thought it. And then I didn't offer him any more help. And lo and behold, he gave up not much long after. You know. okay. so, um, but you should judge the outcome of a system, you know, judge, judge the purpose of a system by its outcome rather than its stated intention. Okay. Um, and lots of people um, say they want, you know, they want to be comics or writers or whatever it may be, but they do not carry out the actions in accordance with that stated aim. Uh, it is not the sole exclusion of their purpose. It's the person who says they want to be a novelist and has never written a book. Yes. Well, write a fucking book then. Um, and now it's... So it's... You know, and not everyone is prepared to sacrifice pretty much everything else going on in their life for it. Yes. So and I know I know. Appreciate it. it's easy for me to say that because I got in when comedy was easier and it is harder now. Sure, but sure. But it's 
Is there, do I detect a sort of note of anger there? Are you cross with people that don't try hard enough? No, I get cross sometimes if I help somebody and they're wasting my time because they don't really want to be helped because it's just something they're pissing about with. And when you say but, helped, um, do you mean in a professional writing joke? No, with I don't them mean professional. No, no, I, just, no, I just, just mean if, I'm, if it's just if you meet somebody who's new and good and you start to give them some advice or help them with gigs or say, call this guy, call that guy, call that guy, mention my name and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out they don't really want it. Okay. So, but uh, but so I, I mean, there are lots of people who want it, and there are more people than spaces. But it's you know, effort is is the is the primary thing, not talent. Okay. And if if your actions aren't in accordance with your stated aim of being a comic, then being that, then that isn't what you really want. Sure. Okay. So the um, the actual nitty gritty of turning a note or an idea into a joke. When you say you put the put the hours of work in, putting the hours in, how many hours are we talking in a week? If you're writing for yourself. I don't do anywhere near as much writing for myself as I should. Um, if I've got something coming up... like oh, Sorry, just on, on that, wouldn't you fall victim to then... Like, were there another Gary watching you? Would he not go, well, you don't want to be a comic then? No, he'd say, you've been very greedy and written too much for other people for money. OK, fine. You would win that argument. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what he'd say, and he'd be absolutely right, and I'm trying to do that less now. OK. Um, but... Um, at the moment, I'm writing quite a lot because I've got a telly thing next month and I haven't got enough good, clean bankers for it that I haven't done on telly before. Okay. So I'm writing. Uh, but even then, when I'm at home, if I'm at home, I'm writing a couple of hours a day. Mm. And, that, and, that, and that's it. When I've got a new material night, I will sit and do that traditional thing. Most comics do this. You just have a collection of your raw ideas in your phone or notepad or whatever it may be. And then you book, you book the new material at night in to force you to finish them sit down and get so, stuck in so then on, on the day of the new material night you try and turn them into something less embarrassing and you know that by having made that commitment to a new material night if you cancel it everyone knows that you're cancelling it because you're too lazy and you've not done any work that's why it's often quite useful to do with mates yes so they, they, you know you, you have to you know alright he's going to write some stuff so I've got to write some stuff and if you go to a new material night and do old material it's obvious that you've just been lazy mm -hmm. so you've got to you know they're, mm -hmm. they're, those are the things that motivate you to actually get it done but I don't spend anywhere near as much time writing as I should and I'm trying to change that I'm trying to cut down the writing I do for other people the other thing is um, people don't seem to talk about is the amount of admin that becomes involved in mm -hmm. being a comic mm -hmm. that you know, I'm, you know I'm doing a tour at the minute I have to do bits for papers and whatnot and I easily spend 20 hours a week an admin just you know, replying to emails and calls and things. So if you add 20 hours a week admin to, you know, I don't know, another 30, 40 hours driving, well, probably 20, 30, and then the gigs and stuff, you, mm. you realise that you're not devoting anywhere near enough of your mm. time to the writing. So I'm, I'm trying to remedy that. But I, I look back and I think if I... Um, right. So I've always been... There's two types of joke, isn't there? There's the gift, the jokes that come fully formed, which are often bankers and it just pops into your head and there it is and bang, that's a great joke. And there's the jokes you struggle at and you, you try and carve it out of something and you sit and you go, I'm gonna come down, I'm gonna write some stuff, I'm gonna start on this topic and I'll get something. Nearly always the, the, the gifts are better, mm. but there aren't enough of them, Yeah. right? And that, that's the fundamental problem. So you have to try and make them come. And if you put yourself in the right zone for writing, you can increase the frequency with which they come if you are not too tired. If you are tired and not sleeping enough, then they won't come. Um, but you, you can, in the run-up to this last Edinburgh show was the only time I'd written for myself with the discipline with which I'd written for other people. Um, and that was because I found myself in June without anywhere near as much workable material for the show as I thought. I did an early preview 
at um, Leicester Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. It went really well. And I pulled together all, all my you know, bags of stuff from the new material nights I'd done in the last, last couple of years and scraps and bits of paper and ideas. And it pretty much all flew and I came out going, good, I've got 80 minutes here. I can cut that down and I'll have an Edinburgh show and put some structure on it. Mm -hmm. And then I went off and did other work. I, I did the odd preview. I did other work basically for, for three or four months and I did mocks and I did other people and other things and blah, blah, blah. And I got to the end of June. I thought, right, it's time to shape this properly now into a show. And I realized I didn't have 80 minutes. I had about 20. Um, and because a lot of it just wasn't as good as I thought, and I was a bit too cocky on it. So was I, that, did that all? Did that revelation happen in one moment? You no, I, I, on I did a couple of previews, and I thought, oh, they're hard previews. That's just giving me misleading, you know, false mm. negatives. And then um, it became apparent that they weren't false negatives. Once I'd done a few more, they just, were actual just negatives. I, just they yeah. were actual negatives. I'd written a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> So I had to write far more for myself in the six weeks in the run-up to Edinburgh than mm. I, had, I had ever done before by a massive margin. I just generate a lot of material and sit down every day and write for hours uh, and then put it straight into that night's previews and whatnot. And I finished writing my Edinburgh show at four o'clock on the day before I went up, mm -hmm. um, which is just a shameful thing to admit, quite frankly. But I only wrote like some big chunks of it that day and then did it my last preview at um, Gladys Night in Nottingham, and then um, and then and then went up and uh, and then sat about in Edinburgh to try and to try and learn it, putting like little post-it notes on my bed and rearranging the shapes and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that montage that, music playing in the yeah, background. Yeah, and that was because I hadn't, I had pretty much, and that was because I had hadn't allocated enough time to myself, and that was a mistake, and I'm trying yes. to remedy that. Okay, so when you when you are getting stuck in, when you've got the notes, and you're going to try and turn the notes into actual sentences that are funny, do you have? Uh, patterns? Do you have rules that you apply? Do you or I mean, yeah. is there a take the phrase, put it at the end, and hide it? <laughs> there you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talk us through that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a horribly reductive thing to say, but there's a huge amount of truth in that. Yeah. Um, you know that if in one-liners you've got your story one and you've got your story two and you try to make the switch over between the two as, as, as clear as possible. You've got the pivot, you've got the, you know, the whatever reveal, whatever you call it, that gives the game away and you want to stick that at the end and not run past it and say anything past that. So you put it at the end. Very often the pivot is your, your figure of speech or your cliche that, you, you know, that you're trying to mangle and, 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 and misinterpret. So you, you put that at the end and you try and hide it. And then so then you start working on the front line. You go, right, what's the lead-in for that? How can I get people to go as far as possible down the wrong story? And a good way to do that is to deliberately use cliches and tropes in the setup that people are used to interpreting in a certain way that are not necessarily part of the joke but just sound familiar. So they're used like to a go, crossword clue. Yeah, yeah. So they're used yeah. to going along in that direction to make it a more change on yours. See? So that's pretty much how I start. If it doesn't work at the end, you put it at the front and you try and twist what comes after it. You have a look and you go, can I put a mental image on this to increase the, the, you know, the vividness on it? If it doesn't work as a two-part joke, can I put in a, a rhythmic boom, boom, boom in the middle to turn it into a three-part joke and increase the emphasis on it that way? Um, so that, that's a little rhythmic trick I often use to salvage jokes. That can, don't you, work. can you give us an example of that? I understand what you mean from the, the, the pivot, but in terms of the, the rhythm, can yeah. you think of one that, that uses that? Um, yeah, I, I got one of those anti joke didn't work. Um, Two thousand and five, got one of those anti bullying wristbands, nicked it off a ginger kid. Not funny. Got one of those anti bullying wristbands, didn't buy it, nicked it off a ginger kid. Funny. Budum 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 budum. Okay. So making it a three saved it, or another one. Um, oh, because the, the the cliffs were too close together. Yeah, Do they yeah. Go, just that, and with that, and we get there too quickly. Sometimes, just they're, they're, I don't understand how rhythm works, but I can recognise it. Okay. Um, okay. And yeah. That 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 
rule of three, it's not just similar, similar, different. It's not just the most, you know, they, they say that three is the most, um, the least number of elements you need to maintain and then break a pattern. Mm-hmm. Similar, similar, different English from Irish from Scotsman. But it's not just that. It also has that rhythmic that you hear in speech. And that's why it's so powerful in terms of, um, you know, politicians using it or preachers. Mm. If you ever listen to, I was listening to an evangelical radio station. They had a preacher on, a uh, black American preacher, really banging it. And I thought, he sounds like a comic. Yeah, you know, it, okay. it's, those rhythms w- w- were the same. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I don't know. Sometimes playing around with something until it sounds rhythmically pleasing works. Listen to a lot mm. of Mitch Hedberg. A lot mm. of that stuff is so rhythm, rhythm dependent. It's so rhythm dependent. When you see it written down, when I first someone recommended Rit- Mitch Hedberg to me, I had a couple of look on Wiki jokes or whatever it is, and had a look at some of his lo- one liners and went, "These are rubbish." Yeah, yeah. And then you hear him do them, and they're just brilliant. He had a double bass player, didn't he, on his first yes, album? Yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, that, that so that so that uh, messing around with rhythm is, is one way of fixing things. Other, let's take another example. I had a joke that didn't work, um, so I started off with somebody used the phrase. Most of my jokes start off with hearing something. Um, I work better orally, hourly, whatever it is. Okay. So so you take so most of my jokes start off with you, the fuel for the the factory is. Uh, the, the you know the cliche the trope the figure of speech or the, the usual thing that I think mm. I, that I think has options to be mucked about with, and I usually take those from listening to people. Okay. Um, and it's particularly good to listen to people who are using language sloppily. Okay. So I mean I've tried using reading books of um, like idioms and things, and I find it too hard. There's too much and too much comes in and it comes in through the eyes, and it's not as good. If you listen to something, you're in that mode of trying to come up with a smart ass response for your mate. So. I, I listen to talk radio in the car okay. as, as a good fuel of... To getting, hear people using idioms casually. Absolutely, but ah. you want people who are getting it wrong. There's no point in listening to Stephen Fry on Radio 4, yes. right? They're gonna be, there's not going to be many cliches in and they'll all be used exactly. Listen to talk sport late at night. Okay. Yeah. That's an incredible tip. I've got a, I'm already thinking I should charge to listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's an incredible tip. And listen, yeah. to, listen to what people are using, how they're speaking, how they're getting it wrong, how they're, you know, and then the sort of things, once people start abbreviating things, colloquializing them, messing them up, then that introduces more scope for breaking mm. the words, you know. So you're looking for So your when thing. people say part of the course when they mean part of the course, things yeah, like yeah, that. exactly, that sort of stuff. So you look for the thing and you go, is it a thing that can be misinterpreted? How can I break the thing? And then how can I disguise, how can I disguise the break? That, okay. That's the process. I mean, usually, um, so yeah, that, that, that's it. So another example, I heard somebody use the phrase, um, just talking about grammar, it was years ago, using the phrase improper use of the colon. And I thought, well, that sounds a bit rude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I can get a bum sex joke out of that. Yeah. All right. So what do you do? You run that, but you've only got one wheel on your fruit machine, right? You've got to get the match between two different things. Um, right, so let me explain. So I've spun one wheel on my fruit machine and it stopped on improper use of the colon. Mm-hmm. Usually you're smashing two topics together, mm-hmm. right? So you're looking for the similarities, the differences, the unexpected links. So I needed a second topic. So the second topic, quite obviously for that joke, is going to be an English teacher, and then you go, well, so how do you get to the story? You make the English teacher your girlfriend, so you're mm-hmm. fine. I was going out with an English teacher, and she got annoyed at my improper use of the colon, mm-hmm. right? And you go, that's a fairly simple route one bum yeah. sex joke. And yeah. you can see the process, you see the match up, you, you span the other wheel. I mean, and then, I mean, I, I had to, 
deliberately fit something in to match it to get my second story to get my mm -hmm. to get my second wheel on the fruit machine sometimes you already have two things that you're trying to match together but okay. on that one I had to make up one and that was the obvious match the so so then I've got that joke and it's a moderately good joke but it's not good enough right so you go um so then you go, right, well, then I need to muck about with the rhythm. I tried that joke, and it was okay. And I thought, I know there's a much better joke in there. So that was one occasion where I deliberately added flab to that joke for rhythmic purposes. Okay. Uh, and I put it in a three-part. So, the okay. so that, that punchline, the improper use of the colon, became the end of a three-parter. Yes, yes, Rather okay. than just a simple two-liner or two-liner with rhythmic, with rhythmic bounce to make it a three-liner. So it became... I've been going out with an English teacher, which is a bit awkward. She keeps on correcting my grammar during sex. Little titter, set-up story. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the first line of the illustration, um, you get, you know, act out a smack or something. Mm -hmm. Who's the daddy? No, the daddy's whom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that gets you a couple of little laughs because if you're playing a crowd of drunken dickheads, they'll laugh because you're acting out sex, like the classic yes, way to sure. play a rowdy gig. <clears throat> yeah, you see so many bad comics basically finish a show by acting out sex and you're like really you know mm. uh, so that so that gets a, a laugh from that there you go classic technique denigrate a technique whilst using it yeah yeah so yeah. you give yourself some distance from it and actually you're doing exactly sure. the thing the sure whole, the whole there's yeah whole we're all familiar with that yeah the whole yeah. opening of my edinburgh show was all a piss take of uh, people going on about uh, neighboring towns but it was actually two minutes of neighboring town yeah great and, uh, yeah, got the yeah. same big laughs whilst oh aren't i clever no i'm not i'm just deliberately uh, you know, sure it's all in inverted commas but it's still there call it yeah. and do it yeah absolutely yeah. so that so that one you do the act out sex and you but you also again as another point on that to note who's the daddy the daddy's whom wrong um who's the daddy is the correct way of saying it really the okay dad, the daddy's whom would be incorrect right okay but if you run that joke as um you can't say as, the as daddy is whom first yeah, no absolutely sure work. sure so you have to bend the truth of the grammar okay to fit that joke. So, so you do you get say, emails? You have to start, People going, that is the wrong grammar. never happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's to my astonishment. Whenever I play an art centre, I'm convinced that somebody is going to pull me up on the fact that I've deliberately got the grammar wrong in that joke and it has never happened. You noticed though, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Fair play to you. But it's, it is a reason I'm not just a dick. This, uh, Most Gary embarrassing thing for me to do, by the way, is I have on occasion, I've got that joke, was it, um, girlfriend says, uh, if I carry on being so uh, pedantic, uh, eventually I'll find I've got... Uh, less and less friends I said no I won't I find I've got fewer and fewer I've got that joke the wrong way around before that's really embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> um, so there we go so that one you bend the truth to fit the joke and why yes. partly it's rhythmic but mostly it's right it's because you're starting off you've got a joke within a joke you're starting off with the cliche Okay. You're starting off with who's the daddy, and then we're playing around yes, with it. Yes, I can't gotcha. start with what I've played around with. I've got to start with the setup. Uh, absolutely. Right. So I got that mini setup punch within it. So that's part one of the, of the three part beat to emphasize. So then part two of that beat is, um, suck it good, bitch. <laughs> Sorry. Look down for added emphasis. No, it's suck it well, bitch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the mini joke not, wouldn't stand up on its own as a joke. It's just that the slightly unexpected repetition of bitch. She's correcting the grammar, mm -hmm. but she's not concerned about the fact that mm -hmm. I just called mm -hmm. her a bitch. So that, and, that's, and that's not a proper joke. In itself, but it's a little mini jokelet on the way to the joke. And by then we've established. So we've got, a, um, we've got a preamble line. Sometimes if a joke doesn't work, I add a preamble line to get a bit of background to it. Okay. Um, so, that, so I've set the context here in a preamble line. I've turned the joke into a three-parter. I've got the first one. I've reversed it. I've put the... Um, so it's so it's now it's now cliche first, so punch you know, twist second. Even though that is ungrammatical, I've got the second part, 
the who's the daddy, you know, what's the suck it good bitch, and it's got yeah. a little mini bitch. So then I've got hopefully got two small laughs on it. I've got them on side that I've acted out. And so then if I've got enough laughs, they're not expecting there to be a big bit at the end because they're yes. just thinking, oh, this is a funny bit with some bits. Absolutely. If those didn't have any laughs in, I've put too much pressure on that final punchline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so then I get to the final punchline and she gets particularly annoyed at my improper use of the colon. And then that gets ten times the laugh that it yes. would get yes. on on just doing that straight joke. So when I did that as a straight joke, it would get a laugh. But that joke for years would always get a round of applause. Right, and that's, yeah. that's the difference that applies. That's that incredible to hear that you've that you've started with what I had assumed was a tag, and actually deliberately put, as you say, flab into the joke. Those are good jokes in themselves, but mm. well, okay, yeah, they're, they're jokes. <laughs> they serve they're, their they purpose. Functional jokes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually, their real function is misdirection, and well, not even misdirection, but their real function is rhythm. Just blowing up the balloon. Yeah, uh, I, I was popping that balloon too soon, and that balloon needed more air in it. So that was that. So I had to that really started. That sounded like the feed line. So. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly was a balloon not involved. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, that's that's the process on that joke. That is an incredible insight. Thank you. So, that's, that's all right. I've, I've never consciously laid out. The thought yeah. processes on that, that was quite interesting, but that's what I did and why. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So from, from, from initial idea to end joke, yeah, yeah. So you've given us a whole bag there of, of techniques that you use. You get, a, you get an idea, you'll kind of roll it round your head yeah. and try and work it. Now, does that process take place? Are you, are you typing it as you're thinking it? Are you pacing around the room trying to make a note of it? Or um, I went to the supermarket to buy a... Uh, some a pie and some stuff for dinner today because it was my turn to cook. So um, and while I was Gary, we can't believe a word you're saying because that again was a feed line. <laughs> right, I, <laughs> I went to the supermarket today. Uh, right, is it? it um, <laughs> so um, and I had a couple of ideas as I was walking around. So I jotted them in my phone, and the first one was, um, yeah. So this, so I was walking around, and I, I was just thinking about. Um, you know, people used to say, "Oh, there's no uh, topics you can't mention." Yeah, people, topics you can't mention in comedy. And people, are like, oh, we could, and you know, and it's become a cliche now. But it used to be quite edgy in its day to do rape and pedo jokes, and now it's been been done to death. I mm -hmm. do a joke about it. So I used to really like pedophile jokes, but now I think they're getting a bit old. Right? It was quite a nice <laughs> little gag. And, <laughs> and <laughs> terribly meta, darlings. And uh, <laughs> somehow that makes the other terrible things I say okay. Um, <laughs> So, so, but you know, so people used to say, "Oh, you can't talk about those topics," and that led to comics deliberately talking about them. And I, mm. you know, I, I used to say, "Oh, let's try and get a load." But the reality is, they're actually quite easy topics to yeah. get to get laughs off. Sure. I mean, so, I mean, like when I first did a rape joke back in two thousand and one, it was genuinely quite edgy rather than hack. It's mm. quite disappointing the way it's changed over the meantime from my entirely selfish perspective. Um, but so on, um, so on that one. I've lost my thread on that. Was, oh, so, well, so the only two things I find you genuinely can't say, and this is what I was mulling around in my, there's two words that I can't get away with using in jokes, mm -hmm. and they are abortion and orphan. Okay. People's, the parental protective instinct is so strong that it's very difficult to use those words and get away with them in jokes, and I've kept okay. coming back to it and trying it, and I cannot make it work. Okay. However, you can, I watched, um, and uh, Catherine Ryan recently mm -hmm. we were working together and she had a lovely abortion bit that just didn't she, 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 where, <laughs> where, where she um, 
don't know if I could quote someone, but she basically, as part, she smudged the word abortion, she was abortion, and became a joke that she wasn't saying the word. Mm. And that, that, that actually really helped them think get over it. It's interesting because often you can talk about something if you don't say the word. Like, you know, okay. when you're doing like, a radio interview or something, people would say, oh, don't say this word, don't say that word. Mm. You know, that's irrelevant. Don't say that because you can, you're not going to get in trouble for the swear words in a joke. It's the content of a joke. Yes. People who think that, you, oh, you control the swearing, you control the content of something are, are just ignorant. Um, so, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking, right, how could we try? And I've tried a couple of attacks on those jokes in the past and I think they're quite funny and I've, I've never made them work. My favourite was um, uh, whenever they film kids' TV, they just bust in orphans to make up the audience because that way they can be absolutely sure there's nobody holding up a sign saying, hello, mom, right? <laughs> and... <laughs> You can see that even in a room with yeah. uh, which is fifty percent comedians, there are people looking down and yeah, and that and that's and that and that's um, so that that's so that's why so they're you know very mm. hard topics to do and that, I think that's a really good joke but it, it doesn't work for for that reason mm. that affects the same reason why if you're doing a joke in which somebody's getting hurt make it a man people won't laugh at it usually yes. if it's a woman yes um, it depends what it is but yeah but so that so there's certain things that you flip um, so I was thinking about those and that so that got me into thinking of. You know, uh, the abortion thing as I, as I was mm. walking around the supermarket with different shit in it and, that, and, and that's when I jotted down in my phone I think I, I went to write down this um, I th I, what I originally wrote on my phone was when my girlfriend was pregnant she kept getting these weird cravings you know beetroot, piccalilli, abortion mm -hmm. right and, uh, and then I thought well that's not funny is it so and that's what's written here in fact you can see exactly what's mm -hmm. that's the first version of it and then, and then, uh, then it's as added on I thought that's not right, so I added on gin, hot baths, coat hangers mm. to find a way <laughs> to find a way to say that without saying yeah. the trigger word. And then when I got here and I was doing doing that work just before we came in, I was looking at the structure of it. Yeah. And then I thought, well, if you've got those elements, then you obviously you don't use the word abortion. Then you take the one of those elements, you put the one of those three things on the list. The one that sounds most like something you'd see at a supermarket is yes. gin. So you put that on as the third of the list, as if that's as if that was a craving. Yeah. And that kind of works as a joke in itself because it's the wrong craving because it's alcohol, so it's not yep. the sort of craving that you should have. So that, so that hopefully then people haven't already got the misdirection and then you come in with hot baths and coat hangers after that. Sure. And that, so that was, that was the thought I had this lunchtime and that was one of the jokes I did in the run in here and it, it mm. worked actually. I mean, it's quite horrific. I probably will never see the light of day. Probably mm -hmm. not the best one to use to illustrate a point on your podcast <laughs> that will be around well, far longer than the joke. But, that, but that's, that's, I mean, that was, that was my thought process today. That was the note on my phone and that was the joke that it ended up as and it got a laugh here. I think in reality, that, that joke won't have legs. Mm. So I don't think it will ever go anywhere, but that, that's where it came from. That's, mm. And the other one is... Um, on, as I was driving back from the supermarket, I had another idea for a joke, and I was quite pleased with that one, because that, that one was clean, and I'm desperately searching for clean bankers. Mm -hmm. But I was driving at the time, uh, so I couldn't write it down, and when I got home, I'd forgotten it, so all it says on my phone there is, plus idea I had in car. Oh! And I was hoping that during the rest of today, something would remind me of whatever had been that initial sure. stimulus for that joke, something I heard on the radio, whatever, yeah. was always the radio one in the car. Um, that that would come back to me and it hasn't so that's gone mm. so there you go that that's that's you said you said earlier on that that's today's the, joke writing process yeah you were you mentioned these terrible things that i say yeah. and it's true that a lot of your stuff are certainly many many times when i've seen you do club gigs you will say something along the lines of oh good you guys are up for the dark stuff and you'll kind of oh, manipulate that's, that's the audience yeah, yeah, that's into, yeah. into enjoying dark stuff so yeah. that you can do dark stuff yeah now well, that's, that's, that's just, that was an attempt to overcome the problem of one-liner boredom. Um, so you get... Okay. Um, 
you know, other things being equal, every joke will get slightly less than the last. And by the time you're up to joke 120, whatever, that's a real difficulty. Mm. So you can try and minimise that by um, having an escalating order of jokes so they get better as you go through and stuff. But you can never remove that, even if you get the right order on it. And you don't always want to start off with the weakest, you know, so that's not mm -hmm. necessarily... Uh, so good. So you put in props, you put in your, your lamppost, whatever, to prop up the bits and, and all those sort of things. But you can still never make those problems disappear. And all of one-liner comedy is various comics struggling to find ways to, um, to overcome diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, I mean, you, I won't, you, you, so techniques. So, so what Milton uses, he uses you know, characters, a bit of interactions of Jimmy talks to the audience, Frankie yeah. talks to the audience, um, uh, Viney does... They'll have physical whatnot. bits yeah, as yeah. well, and, and, you know, yeah. so, and Milton's so, doing an overhead yeah, projector. But you go back to, I was working on my first Edinburgh show, and I was going and studying a lot of old comics, and I was listening to a, a CD of Max Miller, mm -hmm. and this was, he was doing jokes about gas masks, because all the audience had their gas masks, because mm. it was, you know, World War Two, or, mm. you know, um, and I thought it was fascinating, but then he said, on this point, he said, he, he basically used a phrase that I'd used pretty much word for word at a preview the night before, or, or I'll just break this up now and do something else, and I thought, God, he's doing the same things, he's hit the same problems. Yeah. It was amazing to hear somebody from a different time talk uh -huh. about that and use, using using his break devices. Sure. I tried to do my first Edinburgh show without any break devices, and just do it as a straightforward run-through of, like, 300 jokes, and it just didn't fucking work at all. Yeah. So after a few previews, that was massively changed, and now I use all sorts of break devices, computers, all sorts of cheating, yes. because I just didn't have the ability to, sure. to, to do to do a, a clean show like that so um, so is the other darker other darker yeah. things then are they purely a break device or are they something that you Largely, particularly no, enjoy not really a break device they're using a limited number of linguistic tricks and um if you have uh, the shock value mm -hmm. that it's about something hideous that it shouldn't be um especially in the second half of your set people aren't noticing that it's a, a, it's quite a simple trick that you've done a variation on before sure so you're, you're distracting people. Um, and the other thing that you can use it for is um, you, have, you can have an element of progression there and get a bit naughtier as you go through mm -hmm. and so on. Do you find that works against you ever, that as soon as, they, as soon as they know that these are your dark jokes, that they're looking for the active word in the sentence that's going to... Sometimes, but if you, if you vary the pace and you've got different types in there, then, okay. then you, can, you can avoid that a bit. Okay. The worst thing is if someone introduces you saying, hey, this guy's going to do loads of dark stuff and you're like oh I'm, I'm actually kind of hoping not to do any of that for a while sure. and save that stuff you know then, then you or if you do something too soon and I, I had a nice joke that only really works as an opener and it just it's um it makes it really hard because it only works before you've established a one-liner pattern and the joke is I walk out and pretend to be an observational comedian and say uh, so I've recently had my first child and then everyone will clap and you go no please don't clap me being a paedophile right <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> that Sorry. That only works as an opening line, or at least very early before a one-liner pattern is established. Yes. And it's too horrific to do as that, unless you know that you've got yes. a short... Like yes, you do I it, see, I'd do okay. it if I was doing Download or something like yeah, that, but yeah, you wouldn't yeah. at a normal club. So I hardly ever do that joke. Sure. Um, but so generally, they, they, they give the illusion of, of progress and the like, but there are much... It's not a technique that works anywhere near as well as it used to, for various mm. reasons. Um, primarily because, A, as soon as you start doing telly, by definition, people who've seen you on telly have seen you doing quite gentle stuff. Mm -hmm. So they come with that expectation. Yes. So that doesn't work. And the other reason it doesn't work so well is because of the political changes since 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. um, it's much... 
it's a much harder sell to get away with dark and dodgy jokes as society has basically got less free. Um, okay. Now, I, I went back, I had jokes when I did my 2013 Edinburgh show for the run-throughs, I went back and had some jokes that I'd written at the end of 2010 that had nailed it. Mm. Um, and I went back and dusted them off to try and put them in that and they weren't flying anymore. And, I, and in, in my opinion, that's because once you hit um, an economic down, some people get sort of uh, more conservative. There's, le- there's less, um, you know, less, less freedom of expression, less, mm. less, less uh, a, a tolerance. So uh, then, and you people become more, more inherently conservative. Yeah, yeah, and you're more, more authoritarian. There's a mm. distinct a sort of authoritarian, totalitarian streak in, in comedy, I would say today. Uh, so now people are, are judging much more. Oh, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say that. And those jokes just don't fly anymore. So, so I ended up having to cut out loads of stuff from the Edinburgh show that I knew worked because it just I couldn't get away with it anymore for, the, for those for those two things. So that, that's a much powerful, much less powerful technique than it used to be. Something you I don't said know if to that's me. Other comics' experience, but that's certainly mine. Sure. So, something you said to me last time we gigged together, in fact, in uh, the Slaughterhouse in Liverpool. Um, was you on one on one night of the weekend? You said there were lots and lots of women in, yeah. and you found that your act. You have found historically that your act tends to. Well, what, what was the point you were making? Do you remember that it doesn't? It just would have been. I, it's, I, I find it hard when there's lots of women in the audience. And why do you think that is? Um, <laughs> genuinely. Genuinely. It's primarily because the the audience for one liners is largely male. And what's the gender balance tonight? Is this what seventy five percent, eighty percent male? Yeah, I'd say 80%. Kind of, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm actually quite impressed. I thought it was going to be pretty much exclusively male. My mailing list is 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 large mm. is largely male. Um, I think, um, yeah, just I know that in, in terms of people who will approach me after a gig and say, "Oh, I like this, I like that," mm-hmm. or you know, or just people who are sort of slightly weird or obsessive, they're 99% men. And, it, and I know that when an audience is is more than 60% female, I will have a hard time, okay. and there's a good chance I'll die. I'm wondering whether there is a link between the sort of amoral approach to your jokes of you know anything's fair game because it's in the name of a joke yeah and whether there is actually you know the the dark stuff some people it does make them roll their eyes and maybe maybe a joke about a gash on the bonnet of a car when the you know that's a very visual image and it's an unpleasant way to describe a vagina that that actually which uh, which you know that's a joke you told it that's that's the use you know what i mean that's that's the double image there and whether actually that is a turn off to women, and it's not I, just I, the I fact that one liner. I think there is an element to that, but it's but the but the, the, the one liner thing comes first. Um, it's mu- it's a much harder sell of of, of darker crowds uh, of darker jokes to a largely female crowd. Sure. But before that point, it's much harder anyway. Um, 